Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of February 8, 2015. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind and the KCB Next Generation Workshop and Spaghetti Dinner took place last Saturday, February 7, at United Crescent Hill Ministries, and it was a great success. The workshop included advocacy tips on four topics, how to work effectively with your health insurance provider, presented by Natalie Byers and Matt Salm, your elected representatives, presented by Wendy Stepro, social service agencies with Letitia DeBosi and Bill Dethridge, and your rehab counselor with Carla Rushevel and Marcellus Mays. The dinner consisted of spaghetti, garlic bread, salad, and cheesecake, and it was delicious. A huge thanks to Patty Cox and the entire kitchen crew for cooking and serving such a wonderful meal. KCB Next Generation raised $175 from their drawing for a beautiful Valentine basket created by Amanda Selm. The lucky winner was me, Carla Rushevel. The bargain table was also a big success, raising about $150 for GLCB. As you know, GLCB has been holding weekly education and technology nights on Tuesdays and games and craft nights on Fridays since the first of the year. These have been extremely successful. We've been very pleased with the response to and participation in these programs. When we began the programs, we expected that many people would attend selected nights, but we discovered that oftentimes people want to attend both nights each week. Since most attendees have limited incomes, and in an effort to keep costs as low as possible, GLCB voted at its meeting last Saturday to combine the two evenings into one event each week. The new schedule, effective immediately, is as follows. Each Friday, beginning with this coming Friday, February 13, Ed Tech Time will be from 3.30 to 6 p.m. Dinner is at 6.15 and will be $5 per person, and games and crafts will take place from 7 to 10. This week's Ed Tech Time will include a short time for sharing tips on handling personal finances as a blind person. The genealogy group will meet. Tech help will be available for iPhones and iPads and laptops. The UEB Reader will be available so you can check out the new Braille code that's coming next January and we'll begin our print awareness module for those who wish to learn their print numbers and letters. Crafts and dinner will be at 6.15 and 7 and we invite everybody to attend. For more information and details about each week's activities, call us at 502-895-4598 or drop us an email at kcb at com. Our feature on page two this week is a conversation with Albert Rizzi, founder of a small business called My Blind Spot. We talk with Al about the business, how it began, and how it has grown. 
Anyone interested in owning a small business or working from home will be especially interested in this interview. Mitzi Friedlander is a name that is well known to nearly all talking book readers. Mitzi has been reading books to us for over 50 years. She retired this past week, and the American Printing House honored her with a wonderful reception. Adam Rushevel was among the over 70 attendees, and he brings us some audio from the reception on page 3. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. The first feature this week is about a, uh, an individual who is involved with running his own business. We've done some of these segments before in an effort to give people an idea of how you can create your own your own company, your own business, not have to sit around and wait for someone to come up with a job. And I'm speaking this week with Albert Rizzi. He is the founder of My Blind Spot. It's a very interesting business that has to do with some software that we've all heard of. And so welcome, Al. We're glad to have you. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate uh, being with you today. Many of you probably uh, recognize Al Rizzi's name. Albert Rizzi has been involved with ACB for uh, some time, and we are uh, really pleased to have you with us because um, this this is some, you know, a lot of people have heard about My Blind Spot, but maybe we all don't know exactly what it does. Well, My Blind Spot was born out of my own personal frustrations um, with inaccessible websites. Um, as some people may know, I lost my eyesight unexpectedly and very completely, oh, <laughs> nine years ago last month. Actually, nine years ago, I left the hospital on January 27th mm. um, and um, quickly ran into websites that were once accessible to me that I could use that were, <laughs> in essence, disabled. And um, out of that, <clears throat> I started to do some research and um, through some of the supports that I've had from friends and colleagues at the ACB, came to understand uh, co more uh, completely, I guess, and more uh, professionally what accessibility meant and um, all the protections that came with it. Mm -hmm. So I set my sights on looking at trying to get some gainful employment, but again, without being able to apply and submit applications, it was impossible. <laughs> so my blind spot felt it was important to, and it's a very uh, focused part of our mantra, that access to the right tools promotes ability and restores infinite possibilities. So. My blind spot basically does that, just that. It goes out and it creates possibilities for the community. It is a nonprofit, so when we talk about creating businesses, there are a lot of different considerations that need to be weighed um, and taken into consideration. Um, if people wanted to create a for-profit business, there are supports in place to make that happen through the Small Business Association a variety of volunteer organizations like SCORE, uh, which is a retired group of professionals who can help guide you through that process. Um, but if you're looking for support from the commissions or departments or agencies for the blind, 
Nonprofits don't qualify. But I took that intentional step because I did not want profitability to skew the value of what we were doing. The first thing, the first point that, that you've made is that you you had a need here, the need being to access websites that suddenly were inaccessible. Accessibility took on a whole new meaning when, you know, it, it does. Sometimes, you know, the... the the sighted world out there uh, may know about accessibility, may talk about accessibility, but when it hits you firsthand, it has a whole different concept, a whole different meaning. Amen to that. <laughs> you know, and I find, I find that there needs to be a social consciousness raising. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember in the 70s, I was in elementary school, but I remember the dialogue and discussions and uh, attempts to start creating what we now have at the ADA and the Rehab Act was started in the 70s. Correct. And we were introducing the concept of accessible public forums, which basically meant wheelchair ramps and elevators for people who were paralyzed. Yes. Um, and that ostensibly wound up impacting positively, in a universal manner, everybody in the in the in the country. I mean, you had women with wheel uh, with um, I'm sorry strollers. You mm-hmm. had delivery people. A variety of benefits were enjoyed by all people with the simple introduction of a of a, a wheelchair ramp. Um, and I, I I kind of equate the same thing to the virtual world. We need a virtual ramp to allow people to easily access virtual forums mm-hmm. and it escapes it escapes most people um, uh, that it isn't being done because they assume everybody can just point click and it happens. That's right. But I have found that it, from a corporate standpoint yeah. all the way down to Main Street America accessibility is the best kept secret and is it is the most widely protected venue mm-hmm. just like public forums should be yet we don't enforce or exercise the laws in place because of whatever socially imposed or antiquated myths and misperceptions about cost about ability um, and I like to rattle the cage and tell people to think about that one and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so my blind spot was born. You have a, a really neat product that's out there and that you have made QuickBooks accessible uh, for people. And that's a, that's a huge, um, that's a huge program. Quick, QuickBooks is a major program used by um, businesses and some individuals uh, yes. as well mm-hmm. th- throughout the country. And, and you've, my blind spot is, is, taken the lead on getting a truly accessible version of that program out there and working with screen readers. Tell us, though, um, about how you have grown the business. Um, you told me the other day when we were chatting you know, that you have 10 people working for you. I mean, <laughs> you know, this just isn't something you decided to do uh, some, some one day and then have just been kind of working on it when you get a chance sitting in your den. <laughs> you know, no, no. It, it honestly, uh, it is truly a calling. Mm-hmm. I feel that 
honestly and truly to the core of my being every day I wake up. Um, I'm hardly angry about having uh, joined the community outside of the frustrations I feel when people impose their lack of understanding or appreciation for my ability. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, we have 10 people or 10 entities. We have, we have two different uh, companies that okay. we consult with mm -hmm. from uh, a technology standpoint, but we have people who work for us from California to New York, Connecticut, uh, Oregon, Iowa, um, New Mexico. So, And we have people from the ACB who people know. We have uh, Dixie Sanderson. We have Vita Zavoli from California. Dixie lives in Connecticut. And we have um, Caitlin Mangillo, who also lives in Connecticut now, but is originally from Long Island, one of my neighbors. Mm -hmm. And um, we also have people from the NFB and people who are agnostic with their approach to organizations. Mm -hmm. And that's how my blind spot looked at all of this to begin with. You know, uh, QuickBooks is the premier software accounting program, I would say in the world, but definitely, definitely in the United States. You can't look for work in accounting or financial management without having the posting, say, QuickBooks knowledge required. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people <clears throat> will take offense or take uh, a stand against my blind spot's position that blind people, visually impaired people, and print disabled people can pursue careers in accounting or manage the finances of their own small business for the first time. I guess I have to qualify that and say for the first time with QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. um, we're right now testing the 2015 version um, of our scripting solutions. And we're using minimal scripting solutions. So, Carla, when you say a product, the product really is the efforts blood, sweat, and tear of the entire team that we right. put together. Right. Um, and we do have and had to impress upon into it the importance of correcting the underlying programmatic issues at the platform level. Mm -hmm. And QuickBooks is a 25-year-old legacy. It was pre-MSA, <laughs> pre-ADA, yeah. pre-everything, you know, pre, right. pre sometimes almost pre-computer. But... Um, <laughs> And it has evolved now to the point that they've heard my blind spot, and it was all a simple phone call, Carla. And this is one of the things I want to impress upon the listeners and to members of our community. We have a voice, and we need to focus that voice, and we need to take a look at what has worked mm -hmm. over the decades and what has not worked mm -hmm. over the decades. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was shocked when I came here and found that this wasn't a tool that I could use anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet many of us, as you have uh, invited me to speak on, are forced or suggested to pursue our own business endeavors as mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But there isn't a person in any business who has been successful without the ability to manage their finances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is huge. This is, I have had um, John Martin, who is a member of our team and our scripting guru extraordinaire, um, suggest it's historical. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of people know me. They might not believe this, but that, uh, that humbles me, and I, 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 I'm resistant to call it historical, <laughs> but in retrospect, 
and knowing what I know now, it really, really is. For the first time, forget some of the elders in the community who have been comfortable working with workarounds or Excel spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Our blind youth, our print-disabled youth, and I'm not too sure if people understand what print-disabled means, Mm -hmm. but it encompasses a cross-section of people who are reliant and dependent upon assistive technologies from screen readers to magnifiers, from magnifiers to -to speech-to-text tools and Braille output. So when you take that collective community of people, it goes outside the blind community and exponentially makes the community larger and more meaningful from a a marketing standpoint for corporations. Mm -hmm. But for the first time, our blind youth may consider and have the choice to pursue careers in accounting Mm -hmm. or where their sense of numeracy drives them to a place where they might want to work in accounting, bookkeeping, tax preparation. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, um, I, I'm, I'm interested in, and I think our listeners will be interested in hearing a little bit more about, well, the, the situation that, that you have where people don't come to work to a physical office every day. You truly have a, uh, a, in a business here that does not require people to get on a bus and come to work every day. No, no. Yeah, our offices, our our legal address and our offices are based in New York City mm-hmm. um, through space generously donated by Blue World Inc. They are also very committed to the blind community um, in as much as they are a marketing and inventory control company and provide probably nearly $2 million worth of product annually to uh, Randolph Shepard vendors across the country. Okay. So we're at 90 Broad Street in New York City. Okay. And our website address is www.myblindspot.org. Okay. And um, you're right. We do have, I just gave you all that information because you know, I want people to think too many times, <laughs> like, how is he having a business when you've got people all over the country? Yes. Well, this concept of remotely work, uh, remote access and working from home remotely isn't a new thing. No. This has been around for a while, and it started with, you know, executives who were too lazy to leave their sun-drenched shores of, you know, whatever island sure. they were on, yep. <laughs> or, or work-at-home moms, which it made sense because they were transitioning from, you know, you know having their first child, or sometimes work-at-home dads with the Family Leave Act, mm-hmm. and it, it, it is a perfect, perfect uh, opportunity and consideration for people who are... I like to say locationally challenged. That's a good way to put it. But I believe that the real future for, let's say, employment, gainful activity in some way, for people who um, have issues, whether it be with transportation, although with with blind and visually impaired people, transportation is a huge issue. But I think too, sometimes um, there are you know other issues. Getting out there, actually getting, uh, being in the right place at the right time. I, I think that the work at home, work from home, kind of. Uh, module, the telecommuting kind of modules, um, I really believe that for blind and visually impaired people that that coupled with the 
importance of not depending on just finding someone who's willing to give you a paycheck, but instead creating your own um, system, your own module, your own um, business. I think that's really the future for blind people. I take a universal approach. It's not just the future for blind people. It's the future for a lot of people. Well, I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I but think I think in our in our population, in in among the the people who are blind and visually impaired, um, or we can we can broaden that and say print challenge. But I think especially people who do not drive a car. Um, I, I think that are people who live in areas where public transportation is either poor or non-existent. I, I just think that that's the future. Yeah. Well, uh, the caveat there is poor or non-existent, because we know, you and I both know, we have numbers of <laughs> colleagues across the country right. who do traverse public transportation with ease. Absolutely. But where there are issues, the concept of working from home remotely is a solution to that problem. That's right. Without a doubt. That's and right. to that end, you know, as an elder in the community, at least for me, and everybody's an elder in the community for me because I've only been here such a short time, <laughs> I want to challenge the listeners to you know, understand that my blind spot is looking for our next uh, course of action. I've been contacted by a few different people who are looking at work-at-home opportunities, and they are significant. When you call in, like when I call in to talk to people at wine.com or any other um, .com organizations that sell from the website, sure. and you call customer support, mm -hmm. nine times out of ten, the call center is the person's living room. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. need to, and I think it would be in our best interest, do you know, and I'd, an answer to this question, do you know if or where we would want, where we could turn to do some research, intensive research on these types of companies to do two things. One, investigate how accessible they are, and two, introduce them to the value mm -hmm. that having a disabled workforce brings to the table. Because that's one of the things that my blind spot always espouses. We talk about 10 ways to see if your, your website's accessible and 10 reasons why you want to hire people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think we've been having some discussion on this topic. I'm on the on our the Kentucky Statewide Rehabilitation Council for the Kentucky. Office for the Blind. It, mm -hmm. Kentucky does have some people who are working in, call, we have a couple of call centers here. We've had a, a couple of individuals who have actually done that from home. Um, I think that uh, we've we've got some significant movement happening as yes. far as having some people interested, but to and all that's all well and good, uh, but it's almost like it's a band aid um, well, to, on the problem, you know, uh, or just a little tiny part of that. And I th I think your point about is there is there some research is are there some uh, you know, something bigger than just saying, okay, right over here at this company we can do this, or right over there is something. We 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 need to, um, I think, get to the point that we can say, here's a view of this whole industry and how it's changing and developing. You don't have to have 20, 20 call takers sitting in a room anymore. No, you know, you don't even have to have 20 people sitting in an office anymore. No, you know, and, and, and I, I think, think that's the key. To, yeah. to well, you know, the key there, too, is, is research. Mm -hmm. You know, right. one of the things right. that I find that is sorely lacking in our community are st 
true statistics. True. I mean, you, I, I'll talk to people from the NFB and the ACB and the AFB mm-hmm. and any other B you can find. Yes. And <laughs> in essence, there isn't a consistent appreciation no. for even the definition right. of blind, visually impaired, or severely right. visually and impaired. And the stats are all old. Right. They're and then, just and, but now there is old. a recent... Uh, and getting uh, older. <laughs> <laughs> and you're dragging me with you, Carla. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the statistics, I just saw something in the, in the 2010 census that showed there are 25 million severely visually impaired people. Mm-hmm. I like that definition uh-huh. because what it does is it broadens the spectrum of people who are visually impaired. Correct. It also... Uh, in my mind, gives a social conscious uh, awareness or raising to visual impairments. It also makes it easy for people to self-identify, which I think in most instances, historically, people have not identified as having a a visual impairment or being legally blind if they could pass. Yeah, they'll just say, I don't see so good. Right. right. I think part of that has to do, the the statistics are skewed for a variety of reasons. But now we have an accessible census. It is Mm -hmm. out in Braille. It can be done audio. There's a lot of things that this administration has done Mm -hmm. for virtual access since I lost my eyesight and I felt it and touched it and saw it happen Mm -hmm. with their, uh, with their, um, what is it, work jobs, whatever the W, whatever dot Mm -hmm. thing is, Mm -hmm. with their websites for work. Right. With the White House websites, with applying for things, mm-hmm. everything has improved significantly. Right. Education yes. and mitigation. We need to educate mm-hmm. and mitigate the understandings or lack thereof about what has changed in, in, in the world when it comes to accessible environments. Right. Well, um, let me ask you, if, if someone comes to you and says, Albert, I'm, I'm interested in working for my blind spot. What kind of skills do you expect them to have? It's one of those things that I constantly wrestle with all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, I mean, but what, right do, you, now, we're what do you look for? for? What do they for, need to have to be the first thing? The first thing that I really want to have are, are people with passion. Yes. People with social skills. Sure. You know, somebody who understands how to dialogue with professionals as opposed to, I know it's probably going to bother some people, pontificate and get in their own monologues. Mm-hmm. I find that amongst our community, people just keep talking without taking a breath and allowing others to share. Mm-hmm. Um, I need, we definitely must, without question, and this is a non-negotiable, good computer skills, you know, mm-hmm. almost per- perfect computer skills. We have a higher uh, purpose, not purpose, we have a higher calling to represent our expertise in these areas. And we can't have people coming to the team who say, well, I use Windows 7 and or I use, you know, JAWS 11. You, you have to have current and up-to-date tools in order to impact and change the way people perceive things in the 21st century when it comes to our ability. And, and you also, I would think, would have to have good basic skills. When you uh, do something on your computer, you don't want it to be fraught with errors. Uh, I would you bet. need to exercise your spell check. I cannot tell you. My, I, I mean, to the point. Okay, when I first created our logo, my blind spot, the clear view to diversity, everything I had lost or that I m- felt I missed most when I lost my eyesight has to do with driving. I mm-hmm. loved to drive. I would drive across the street just to drop off my dry cleaning and drive right back to the other side. That's how much I love to do it. Okay. So the clear view is an expressway in New York City that takes you to 
LaGuardia Airport. Okay. It is one word. Mm-hmm. My friends said you can't spell it as one word. They're going to think you don't know how to spell as a blind person. That's right. And I can't tell you how important perceptions are. First, perceptions. If you have poor grammatically written sentences or narratives or reports and spelling errors, it really does nothing to get other people to look at us with empathy and belief in our abilities. They look at us with sympathy and pity, saying, oh, look at the poor blind person made a mistake. And that is, it's okay for that sighted person sometimes to make that mistake, although it's really not. But, no. but, the, but, but a sighted person gets more, they cut more slack. They get more you know? slack. Yes, they do. They say, oh, it was just because I, my, my, my fingers stumbled over this. Right. And, you know, and that's what I, when people say, oh, you had a spelling error. I'm like, well, my blind thumb couldn't see what it was doing. You know, <laughs> yes, we have errors, but when they are repeated, like I've seen people consistently on the chat lists and all the different things that I've come to appreciate mm-hmm. in this community, mm-hmm. you can see where people aren't consistently uh, exercising the tools and the options available. Exactly. And people who just make a mistake. And somebody who says something about it, then invariably there's the people on the list who say, oh, it's just a, it's just a list. It doesn't matter. And you know what? It does. Because when somebody goes out there, if, if you're considering hiring me to do something, yeah. and you go out there and do a, do a Google search, on, yep. on my name, some things I've written on some lists are going to show up, up. And when you see all of this junk yep. that gets written, yep. sometimes almost unreadable, that's going to color how you see my ability yep. to perform on your job. I agree with you. And what I'm just, you know, from, from a, a judgment perspective, just mm-hmm. least to be judged, mm-hmm. the people who usually throw stones at us for those errors are the people who don't use spell check. Yes. Kind of funny how it's okay for them to make the mistake. You know, but one of the things as an educator, I, I'm, I, I'm a, I was a kindergarten teacher and a principal uh, before I lost my eyesight. Now I'm a global teacher now that I think about it. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm a teacher still. Okay, yep, I'm good yep, with that. Um, yep. uh, Communication skills mm-hmm. are paramount in mm-hmm. any career endeavor. Right. And communication includes the written word, the spoken word, and the way you read that word. Correct. Okay? Yep. You, uh, you can't acquire language without those three skill sets, which is where I get really disappointed in the departments of education and my colleagues who are teachers when they force our blind youth to use their weakest muscle, blow things up 45 ways to Sunday, and never introduce them to Braille. Mm-hmm. They're not reading if no. they're looking at a screen confidently, <laughs> in my opinion. Yes. So those are yeah. things that I think that are lacking in the blind community Correct. for whatever the reasons are, and I think that's a social imposition as opposed to a true desire. We are out of time, unfortunately, because I think this is really, really interesting, and we could go on for the whole show. Just so I can leave you with one thought, we need to follow up with how to structure your home businesses in a way that it doesn't impact any of the benefits we uh, are entitled to, because there aren't these transitional programs that help us get off it, and I want to have a follow-up conversation about the best way to affect that with uh, time given for each of the individuals who start their own businesses to move intentionally off of these supportive systems that really do nothing to uh, promote gainful employment. We definitely want to do that. That will be a great, a great feature. All right.
page three. This, this program will last about 30 minutes. I'm going to introduce four or five people. Uh, we have some presentations and so forth, but, but about 30 minutes. I do want to take a moment, though, to tell you a little bit about the American Printing House for the Blind. Uh, the American Printing House for the Blind here in Louisville was founded in 1858, and that's 157 years ago. And then by an 1879 Act of Congress, APH was designated as the official source for education materials for the under college level blind students in our country, all states, and the five territories possessions, they call them outlying areas. And then there are five, Guam, Puerto Rico, American Samoa, the Virgin Islands, and the Northern Marianas. Uh, right here in Louisville, the corner of State Street and Frankfurt Avenue, we manufacture over 1,200 unique products for the legally blind children in the 55 areas, the 50 states and five outlying areas. Uh, this year, there are 61,739 legally blind students all registered in the printing house, and we produce over 1,200 products for them. Products that they need to be successful in education and products that aren't available commercially. In the late 1920s, uh, APH and the American Foundation for the Blind, which is located in headquartered in New York City, began pushing for books for the blind. And uh, including even the two presidents of the organizations testifying before Congress. And this resulted in the passage in 1931 of the Pratt-Smoot Act that was titled the Books for the Blind Act. And, uh, that those were braille books to start with. When the technology for recording came around, then it included recorded textbooks, or novels, not textbooks. This is not for students. This was, this was for the adults. So uh, the, the uh, first recordings were done in the early 1930s by the two who had really pushed for it, American Printing House for the Blind and the American Foundation for the Blind. Uh, this morning, I, I spoke with Carl Augusto, who is president of American Printing House for the American Foundation. No, I'm president of American Foundation for the Blind. And when I mentioned that we're honoring you tonight, Mitzi, uh, Carl said that you were his all-time favorite Alexander Scorby Award winner. And he remembered that it was a 1993 presentation. And he wanted me to, I need to read this because he wanted me to say it right. He wanted me to tell you that he will treasure your voice forever. So that, and, and that's from the heart. I and mean, those aren't his words. This is received congratulatory messages from, from Metro, state, uh, federal government officials. And uh, the, we'll go through a few of those now. Uh, the first is from uh, Congressman John Yarmouth. And uh, Congressman Yarmouth starts right up on this. So there's no lead in. So if you'll please pay attention to the very first of it. We'll dim the lights a little and uh, we'll have Congressman Yarmouth, Vincent, talking to you. All right, here we go. So it's 50 years. You have dedicated your time and your passion help tell the tales and paint the pictures of thousands of classic books for the blind and visually impaired. We all know that feeling of losing ourselves in a book, whether reading or hearing those words for the first time, and what the stories truly mean to us. 
You helped take millions along on that ride, telling the tale of a young Scarlet era, or indulging us in the life and true story of the blind bard of Kentucky, a man named Morrison who helped teach us all how to overcome adversity. You are not only a treasure to those who rely on the National Library Service, but to all of us in Louisville and across our Commonwealth. Thank you for your years of hard work, and I offer you my most sincere congratulations on your retirement. Mayor Fisher has a resolution, and uh, I'd like to, to read it for you. It says, to all to whom these presents shall come, greetings. We, we ye, know ye that the city of Louisville honors Mitzi Freelander in recognition of her uncanny ability to bring to life over 2,000 talking book titles during her career with the American Printing Hospital Blind. Mitzi's theatrical background, including earning the first master's degree in theater arts from the University of Louisville, prepared her for 50 plus years of amazing performances, lending her voice to nonfiction and fiction pieces, scientific publications, and children's literature. From Charlotte's Web to Dawn with the Wind, Mitzi gained national recognition, earning numerous prestigious awards for entertaining and enriching work. A grateful community applauds Mitzi's efforts and wishes her amazing peace and happiness as her journey through life continues. Done in Louisville, Commonwealth of Kentucky, this fifth day of February, 2015, Greg Fisher. Now, please introduce the deputy, this kind of fun, the deputy secretary for the Kentucky Cabinet for Health and Family Services, Mitzi's son, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the son. But uh, the serious part is I'm here as a high government official. <laughs> I will read these at great risk to myself. Because who would dare read to Mitzi? <laughs> no notes at the end. <laughs> they were uh, animated. <laughs> so I'll begin uh, with the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Stephen Bashir, whereas Mitzi Friedlander of Louisville, Kentucky, has dedicated her distinguished career as a talking book narrator for the American Printing House for the Blind, providing for the blind, the visually impaired, and the physically impaired the opportunity to enjoy fiction and nonfiction literature. News and other forms, there is a word to listen. Every 50 years, Mitzi has recorded more than 2,000 books from all of her death before, more than any other American narrator, for an audience of more than a half a million people, as the voice of such literary classics as Gone with the Wind, Charlotte's Web, you heard that at the CJ this morning, and several of Sue Grafton's alphabet series of Mitzi has also enjoyed a long and distinguished career in Kentucky arts, community, working with the Louisville Ballet, Louisville Children's Theater, Kentucky Opera, Actors Theater. And Mitzi was the first recipient, as you heard, of the Didymus Award from the Library of Congress and was chosen as the, for the award for the Alexander Sport. Now, therefore, I, Stephen L. Bashir, Governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, uh, do hereby pay tribute to Mitzi Freelander for her extraordinary service to the Commonwealth and nation. One down, one down. <laughs> <laughs> and since uh, the 
this year I saved the House of Representatives for the second. This is a citation from the House of Representatives. I think they're like a little more flowery. <laughs> the House of Representatives of the Commonwealth of Kentucky hereby recognize and honor Mitzi Friedlander upon the, the auspicious occasion of her retirement from talking as a talking book narrator, narrator with the American Printing House for the Blind, where she has served with great distinction since 1962. During her extraordinary 53-year career, Ms. Friedlander has recorded more than 2,000 talking books, titles, more than any other talking book narrator in the nation, administered by the Library of Congress National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. The talking book program provides recorded literature to half a million blind and visually impaired and physically impaired Americans. This gifted actress, wonder where I get that from, was a celebrated artist, is a graduate of the University of Louisville, where she was the first student to earn a master's degree in theater arts, has performed at the Louisville Children's Theater, and taught theater arts at UofL and in IU Southeast. And during her illustrious career with APH, lent her voice to nonfiction pieces, works of fiction, science publications, and children's literature. As a result of her work as a narrator, she was awarded the very first Didymus Award from her and the Alexander Scorpio Award for excellence in narration of nonfiction titles. Inasmuch as Mitzi Friedlander is an artist of the highest caliber, who has generously utilized her substantial gifts to enrich the lives of others through literature, through the arts, and the members of this august, august body are deeply honored as Speaker Greg Stumbo during the 2015 regular session of the Kentucky General Assembly in offering this distinguished Kentuckian severe, uh, sincere Sincere commendations and gratitude for her years of exemplary service. And today they adjourn in your office. I was traveling with a group from Kentucky and we were in Nashville. And we were at a Christian or a big boy because you know government always have really big stipends. <laughs> <laughs> and I was walking by the table with two individuals who were visually impaired and had their dogs with them and somebody said to me, Well Mr. Freelander, blah da da just walked by and both people stopped and said, Freelander, you wouldn't happen to be in any relationship. <laughs> and so no matter where I went, no matter where I go, I know Mitzi's always a we now have the director of the studio, Steve Mullins, who uh, well, has a few things to, to show the love that all of your listeners have for you. Steve? Before I launch my prepared remarks, I want to tell Missy that we are naming a studio three. Um, to many of you are in front of my um, I kicked around and went to college, uh, the Missy Freelander Studio. But I think I'm going to just call it which I've known for as many years now, Mitzi's studio. <laughs> There's a poem by William, William Butler Yeats where Yeats asks the question, how can you tell the dancer from the dance? When a skilled reader records a book, the question becomes, how can you tell the reader from the book? 
Uh, the 2,000 books that Mitzi doesn't have that she's been Kinsey Milhon, Scarlett O'Hara, and both Ramona and Jesus. <laughs> and countless others. People have grown up listening to her, and, and here's the great thing. APH is working with the Library of Congress, and we're taking tapes from 20, 30, 40 years ago to bring them to digital. And now these, these recordings will be accessible by download on the NLS website. So soon, almost everything that Missy has recorded will be available. Yeah. So now we have some recorded comments from some of Missy's current fans. Hi, Lindsay. This is Don Horn from New York. Back in 2008, I came home from attending the convention in Louisville, and my father asked me, how are the speakers? I told him that the speakers were great and that my very favorite was Mitzi Friedlander. And I began to tell him who you were, and he said, oh, you don't need to tell me who she is. When you were a little boy, you would take the talking books out of the mailbox and go into the bedroom, and a few minutes later, you'd come running out and say, oh, this issue of Jack and Jill is going to be extra special. It's read by Mitzi Friedlander. She's the best. <laughs> <laughs> So you're familiar with these wonderful lyrics written by Jerry Herman. Open a new window, open a new door, travel a new highway that's never been tried before. For over 50 years, Mitzi, you have allowed countless blind people throughout the country and other handicapped people to open new windows and open new doors through the tremendous work that you've done. Please know how deeply I appreciate what you've given me Thank you so much. Enjoy your retirement. It's well earned. But remember that you were the best. Yeah. <laughs> this is the present uh, violinist extraordinaire and your friend, Barbara Henning, uh, graduate university, uh, graduate of the School of Music University of Louisville and a graduate of KSB. Barbara? But in this case that I've chosen to play for you, uh, Mitzi, it's called Jack Library Service for the Blind and Visible Handicap. And the director of uh, 
in the National Library Service, is Karen Kinninger. And she's written a nice letter here. And I, and I should preface this by saying that in our studio, we do a very good job of matching what is to be read with the narrator to make sure that it's appropriate. Well, after you hear me read the first line, you'll find that we didn't do such a good job. <laughs> Dear Mitzi, one of my earliest memories of talking books is listening to you reading Ramona the Pest when I was a young girl. <laughs> Long before the general public discovered the joys of expertly presented storytelling, you were honing the craft and raising it to an art. And for some of us, it became a household name more recognized and valued than those in the news. Absolutely. Over the past 50 years, you brought books to life with your skillful and pleasant narration. Through more than 2,000 books, you evoked excitement, joy, laughter, and sometimes tears to those of us who depend on talking books for our reading experience. As of this writing, 713 of your books are available in digital format. Many brought forward from cassette at the request of our patrons. Your total portfolio goes back to 1962 and includes over 2,200 entries in our catalog. On behalf of your listening public and the National Library Service for the Blind and Physical Handicap, Library of Congress, I thank you for your years of dedicated service and for the love and sparkle you brought to me. I wish you the very best in your well-deserved retirement. Sincerely, Karen, Karen Kinninger, Director. Matt, you're on, babe. <laughs> I'm not very good with my own words, but I'm trying to be Dear time's waste. Then I, John, and I, unused to flow, for precious friends did in death's stateless night, and weep afresh love's long since cancelled woe, and moan the expense of many a vanished sight. Then can I grieve at grievances for home, and heavily from woe to woe tell o'er the sad account of forbemoaned moan, which I knew paid as if not paid before. But if the while I think on thee, dear friends, all losses are restored and sorrows end. <laughs> Adam Rushable. Okay, Adam, this is so good of you. Well, thank you, Mitzi, and congratulations. Oh, and you, I just want to let you know my sister Lena always appreciated oh. knowing you and your daughter, and yes. uh, you know, so thank you very much. Oh, it's so good to see you. Okay, so, okay, thank you, Mitzi. Thank you a lot. I'm talking with Tuck Tinsley here right after the Mitzi Friedlander uh, retirement reception. Tuck, I want to thank you for all the things you've done with us, and Mitzi. 
Oh, we we uh, we're just honored to have her as a narrator, and, and every time, Adam, you know when when you all host the the oh, ACB no. convention here, the the highlight of the trip oh, is people coming down and seeing the lady that read to them when they were young. So we're just so fortunate to have the Talking Book program. And now, uh, well, you know, with 1,800 titles, they're depending more and more on us. So uh, AFB has dropped out of it, and it's very important that we maintain this, and we will. Well, thank you, Tuck, and it was a very nice reception tonight. Thank you. Adam. Thank you, Tuck. Bye-bye. Okay. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free-of-charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Page four. The Sound Prince Calendar. There's been a change in the conference call number that is used for the majority of conference calls on the calendar. The new number is now 605-475-6006. The code remains the same, 294444. Bluegrass Council of the Blind activities are held at the BCB office located at 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1230 in Lexington. You do need to register for BCB events and activities. Their phone number is 859-259-1834. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind activities are held at the United Crescent Hill Ministries at 150 South State Street in Louisville. Register for GLCB events by calling us at 502-895-4598. February 13 is the GLCB Education and Technology Session, Dinner, and Bingo Games and Crafts. Everything gets underway at 3.30 p.m. on Friday afternoon, 3.30 to 6 at UCHM for Education and Technology, 6.15 for Dinner, and 7 o'clock to 10 for bingo. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On February 14, GLCB will hold its monthly board meeting at 11 a.m. on the conference line. Also on February 14, the Kentucky Association for the Deaf Blind will hold a Valentine party at UCHM from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. On February 15, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni will hold its next board meeting on the conference line at 8 p.m. February 16 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind board meeting, also on the conference line at 8 p.m. February 19 is the Kentucky Regional Braille Challenge. It's at the Kentucky School for the Blind and the American Printing House for the Blind and is sponsored by the school and the printing house. For more information, call APH at 502-895-2405 or the Kentucky School for the Blind at 502-897-1583. February 20 is another GLCB EdTech Games and Crafts Night, 3.30 to 6 for Education and Technology, 6.15 for Dinner, and 7 to 10 p.m. for Crafts. It's at UCHM, and the cost per person is $5. February 21 to 24 is the ACB Mid-Year Board Meeting, Affiliate President's Meeting, Legislative Seminar, and Capitol Hill Visit. 
Meetings are in Arlington, Virginia. Call the ACB office at 202-467-5081 for more information. February 23 is the next Guide Dog Users of Kentucky membership meeting. It's at 7 p.m. on the conference line. On February 24, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind invites you to attend demonstrating assistive technology and accessibility training at their office from 5 to 6 p.m. It is important that you call ahead to register for this session. On February 25, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold their next VIP support group meeting, noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington. Lunch and program are included. The February program will include representatives from Wheels, Uber, and the ITN Bluegrass. RSVP is required. Call their office for reservations and more information. And on February 27, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its Education Technology Session, Games and Crafts at UCHM. 3.30 to 6 for Education and Technology, 6.15 for Dinner, $5 per person, and 7 to 10 for Games and Crafts. Be sure to call for more information and to sign up. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at com. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.